Hello and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast, a place where we share stories on how love can transform negative emotions and pain into strength. We talk about all things related to love, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Hello and welcome to episode 31, From a Caregiving Season to No Regrets. Raina Nysis understands the joys and challenges that come from a season of caring. She helped care for both of her parents during their separate battles with Alzheimer's over a 30-year span. She's able to look back on those days now with no regrets, and she wishes the same for everyone caring for ailing parents. Raina is the author of No Regrets, Hope for Your Caregiving Season an ICF certified coach, the host of a Season of Caring podcast and speaker who is passionate about offering encouragement, support, and resources aimed at preventing family caregivers from aimlessly wandering through this important season of life. In today's episode, Raina shares her story and brings light into a space where many of us often don't think about caring for our family members. Now let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. I am so excited to speak with Raina today. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing good. It's a beautiful day here in California. It is. So we are here to talk about you and your and how you your work has spread love throughout your community. So what is your lesson? What is your love lesson? And essentially the love lesson is something that you've gone through in your life that brought you to the place of complete surrender where you had to take all the fortitude, all the love, all the knowledge that you've learned to move past it. And then now you're taking that lesson and you're helping others. Well, I love that, first of all, because I think that is the ultimate place. And I think oftentimes in our lives, we're really searching for that. And it takes time to get there because we do have to take a culmination of everything in our lives to get there. So I was only 16 years old when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And she had a 12-year journey with the disease and um, passed away when I was 28. And just seven years later, my my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's as well. And so he went through a 14 year journey with the disease and without having a parent be the primary caregiver for the other parent that left my sister and I to step into that role. So I think throughout life, the journey of being able to find uh, within myself the way to love well my parents when they didn't even remember who I was, um, was definitely my love lesson. And then from there, I have, I love to be able to come alongside others and support them as they're trying to support their parents as their parents age and really just walk them all the way home and still have a life that they love for themselves. Wow. That's, that's a pretty remarkable journey of caretaking. That's a lot of caretaking. Do you have children as well? I am a stepmom of four, 
And so while I was caring for my dad, um, we actually had a high schooler. Our last one was at home. We married off three within five months. <laughs> so, and I became a grandma during that four and a half year period that I was caring for my dad. And my dad lived 220 miles from my home uh, on the farm with my husband. And so I actually made that drive and stayed with him three days a week and then came home and cared for my family the other three days. And so it was a, a long four and a half year period, but I really look back on it with so many amazing memories and such great opportunity to grow in my relationships that I kept the priority of. So it was a real blessing. It's not an easy thing to do, but it really is an opportunity to, you know, find what's most important and really focus in on those things. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note that you were taking care of all these other people. How in that time, how did you learn to balance taking care of yourself? Such an important lesson. And I think a, a difficult lesson because so many times when we're in a caring season, we don't stop to even think about it. But because I was a coach, I had friends that I was coaching and they were coaching me. And so that self-reflective and awareness of my own needs um, was just really important to me. And it was something, I think the drive helped. <laughs> I think spending four hours in the car after a weekend with my dad, I did a lot of reflecting, a lot of praying, a lot of, you know, how am I, how am I doing, what's going well, what's not going well, and what do I need so that I could make sure to, you know, put those things on the front burner rather than leaving them on the back burner. It's kind of funny. I say, you know, I, I sometimes thought oh, I need a, I need to have a dinner with my friend who's so fun because I just need to laugh, you know, and sometimes we forget those things. And so just really being reflective, I think was a big key for me to stay engaged with my own needs as well as meeting all the needs around me. That's a, an amazing and a very strong point. For others to know because it's if you can't take care of yourself then it's impossible for you to take care of other people especially it really to is degree of yes definitely failing parent and so from all of this you wrote a book i did so oh. the name of my book is no regrets hope for your caregiving season and again i've had people say no regrets reina and i think yeah, because throughout the process, I stopped and asked myself, and if there was something that wasn't going well, I changed it. And so when I really look back at it, you know, the point in which I buried my dad, I really thought to myself, I did everything I could. And it wasn't perfect. And it wasn't by any means what I would want it to be. I mean, it was heartbreaking, but I had no regrets because I put my whole heart into it and I'd honored him well. And at the same time, I maintained my marriage and my friendships and my relationships with family. So I did feel like I was able to do that with no regrets. So as I wrote the book, uh, the first 10 chapters are kind of the how to's with stories of how to care for you know, your parents, how to honor them, because it's such a hard balance to offer the honor that they need at the same time as meeting the needs that they have. Um, you know, managing medicine, hiring and firing caregivers, just all of the nuts and bolts of that. And then the last six chapters are about how to take care of yourself and how to make it through this journey without regret and with the opportunity to um, know that you still have what's most important to you when it's over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you share one of the key ways to not regret? Because I feel like a lot of people regret having to take care of somebody else because they feel deprived of not living that the life that they want to live, feeling like they have to sacrifice everything they want 
because of somebody else and then feeling resentful or feeling like you took something away from me or feeling victimized by that situation. So how, how do you change people's mindset around that? I agree with you. I think it's very common for to have those feelings. And so I think the way that you avoid those feelings is really by being intentional. So when my we found ourselves at a place that my dad wasn't able to care for himself anymore and he needed 24-hour care, his sister had been living there and she needed to leave to move out. It was just too much for her. So we found ourselves trying to decide how do we do this? And I was teaching four days a week at that time. And, um, you know, I was doing, my life was full, <laughs> but here was this need. And so as my husband and I sat down and talked about it and we made the decision for me to step into that need, you know, I had to look at my really full plate and say, okay, this is for a season. What can I move off of this plate to put this big need on top of it? And so I let go of things. So after the school year ended, I didn't renew my contract. You know, I took that big responsibility off of my plate. There were other volunteer things that I had to go ahead and remove. So I, I think when I talk to people and help them through the season, the number one thing is to really know what are your priorities and what can you put aside for right now? This isn't forever. Your loved one's not going to be here forever. This is for a limited period of time. So it's a short sacrifice and it is a sacrifice, but it's a short sacrifice that you can choose to make. But also the other piece of that is so important is don't do it all. It isn't about me doing everything. It was about me taking on my plate, what I could handle and my sister taking on her plate, what she could handle and then finding the people to support us to meet the needs outside of what we could meet. So I think really making sure that the first answer isn't that you're doing it all, but rather that you're being really intentional about what you're taking on and removing things instead of just piling higher. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think that when we people are doing new things, they always are just adding, 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 totally feeling overwhelmed and not understanding that there is a part there. You have to let go of some things. Absolutely. You have to. You can't do it and all. I Right. And the part of the reason why I named my business was a season of caring is because it's just a season. And I think when we realize that, you know, my dad's been gone for almost three years now. So I've had almost as long without him as I had while I was caring for him. So I've been able to fill those things. I've been able to do things like write a book and, and achieve goals that I had that I put on hold possibly, you know, during that season. So and I think it's really important to note that in this culture, we don't necessarily take care of our elderly well. Like we kind of push them to the side, put them in nursing homes and kind of forget about them. And I love the fact that you're bringing this to people's consciousness because there is a way of taking care of our parents or elderly aunts, uncles, people in our yeah. family that could be sustainable. Definitely. And it has to be sustainable. And I, what I find is many are on one end or the other. They're giving up their whole life to take care of their loved one and they are losing themselves. And like you said, all that resentment and, and the negative emotions are there or the other end, I just pay somebody else and try not to think about it. You know, So I want the conversation to be, how can you have no regrets? How can you not only have, we don't wanna have regrets that we gave up our whole life and we don't have, we lost our marriage or we lost our relationships, we lost our job. We don't want those regrets, but we also don't want regrets that we lost the opportunity to spend time with our loved one either. So it really is a conversation and one size does not fit all. You know, sometimes it is best to have other people meet their physical needs and you step in and do other things. But 
if you don't ever examine that, you don't know what's best for your family and your loved one. Did you and your parents have a plan for, if you did you know like what they wanted, how they wanted to die, like all those options? Did you guys talk about that? You know, because my mom was so young, she was only 53 when she was diagnosed. My dad really stepped in and did a lot of those things. And honestly, I don't know that they did talk about it. One of the things that's really hard about the disease is it's such a slow progression. You know, the last time my dad said my name, there weren't lights and bells telling me this is the last time I was going to hear my dad say my name. Those things, you lose them slowly. So on my dad's diagnosis, we did sit down and have a family conference and we did have conversations that were tough. And he had a lot of medical and financial and um, legal things in order because of losing my mom the way that, that we did. So, you know, we had that conversation, who's going to take care of the money. This is what I want. And he said to us, I want to stay at home as long as possible. So we knew, and that really was a marching order kind of for me, is that he his goal was to stay at home. And he had the financial means for us to bring the support in and be able to do that. And so it was really important for me to be able to do that. But when it comes down to a lot of those other conversations, I probably didn't do as well as I wish I had, you know. We talked about some things, but he was good at that point. And then he wasn't, you know, it was like, um, we actually, dad and I owned a Sylvan Learning Center together. And I can remember, you know, we had such great conversations about the finances and about making decisions. And then I can remember bringing those same types of issues to him and asking his opinion and him kind of repeating the same thing back to me or kind of avoiding the, the topic, you know, because he lost the ability to process that information and really share with me the same kinds of answers he had shared before, but I didn't know from one time to the next when that was going to be. So I think, you know, if we had done a little more of that probably would have been helpful, but overall I felt like we did pretty well with my dad because we had walked it with my mom. But I think it's tough to do because you, nobody likes to talk about it and you kind of feel like you have time. <laughs> so even with the terminal diagnosis, we felt like there would be time, I think so. Yeah, I work with a woman that does um, wills and trust, and she's always putting that in our mind of like, you need to get these things in order, mm -hmm. even if you're young and you think that nothing's going to happen because you just right. you don't know. Yeah. So this book is a how-to for people that are wanting to take care of their parents in a different way. Do you also work with people one-to-one -one or in groups to help them manage that as well? I do. So, you know, I wrote the book to kind of share our story and to open the door for those conversations, because that's an easier way maybe for people to do that. And I think at every age, like you said, we can start thinking about those things. But when you find yourself reaching a point where, you know, you have the juggle going on and you're dropping some balls and you really need some perspective on that. I love to work one-on-one -on -one and do coaching with those people. A lot of people don't realize coaching is not about me telling you how to do it or what works best for your family, but rather it's about us having conversations that let you open your heart to really hear what's most important to you and then navigate a path to get there. So I love to be able to support people with that. And then I also do offer workshops and opportunities just to kind of start having some of those conversations, um, whether they be financial conversations or even just the last one I did was how to say no so that you can for yourself, 
have some boundaries that keep you healthy and how do you deal with the guilt that comes with that and just what kind of things do you need to say no to sometimes ourselves, sometimes to other people but just even kind of exploring some of those things so just having opportunities to bring people together to talk about stuff that we aren't talking about most of the time so and then support groups are a great opportunity for me to be able to listen again and just help you listen to your own heart and and get the support that you need in that season so I'd love to be able to work with people in lots of different ways yeah I was just thinking about I have friends that are single are only children and so they're feeling mm. the burden of having to take care of their ailing parents and they're, you know, they ha their parents are fine now, but they're already stressed right. out about what's going to happen in like 20 years because they don't have mm. any siblings to share yeah. the responsibility of their parent. How do you approach people that feel totally alone in this situation where they have to take care of their parent? I think the most important thing is to understand that your team is made up of people of, that you choose. They're not necessarily people that are related to you. And I would say there's a lot of people out there that are going, I can't stand my sibling, or I know my sibling's taking advantage of my parents, and I don't know how we're going to be able to do this together either. So it really can just be difficult relationally, no matter what. And there's also clients that I have that don't have the best relationship with their parent. And so it's really hard. That's a really tender thing in their life already. So they want to be able to honor them. But how do I do that when there's so much wounding on my side too? So it's a lot of navigating that. But I think one of the things that I really encourage people to realize is this is a team approach and your team is including everybody. So on our team in caring for my dad, his sister was a part of that team. We had people who take care of the lawn. We had someone who cleaned the house. We had the doctors. We had the caregivers. We had my sister and myself. We, you know, we really built a strong team all the way around. So I actually created a free quiz called the, the um, Caring Quiz at caringquiz.com. And that just lets you take a, a little quiz to see what your caring personality is. And then I after you've taken your quiz and you learn about yourself, I encourage you to have the other people on your team take that same quiz. So you can make sure there is diversity on your team because different personalities have different strengths and weaknesses. And my sister, she was an accountant. So she did all the bookkeeping. She did all the coordinating of the caregivers. I did a little more of the hands-on. I also am a little more business-minded. So I did the hiring and firing, you know, those kinds of things. So we found our strengths and weaknesses and we created the team that we needed. So I really encourage people to look at it. They might not be family members. In fact, a lot of times they aren't because even large families, it seems like there's one child that the majority of the caregiving falls on. So just understanding you can invite anybody to be a part of your team. And sometimes the best people are not related to you because they, they come in with a fresh perspective and they don't have, you know, the baggage that sometimes relationships can have for families. Right. I was just so curious about the caring quiz. Is that kind of like love languages where you have a certain way of receiving care and that kind of thing? It's, um, we have four people in the caring quiz. And so they're kind of the different personalities, more of your um, sanguine, dominant, those types of personalities. So kind of looking at how that impacts what tasks you bring into the caring team. Got it, got it. True, because everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and it's better to put people where they feel the most confident. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, so let's get into the infinite love questions. Okay. <laughs> so how do you use love in your work? 
So when I saw this question, I immediately thought of a story that I share, um, and I hope you don't mind, it's a little bit long, but my dad, you know, as I cared for him three days, uh, three nights a week, uh, one of the most challenging things for people with Alzheimer's is nighttime. Mm -hmm. And so there's oftentimes a lot of confusion and there just seems to be more agitation at night. So two nights a week, it was like the easiest thing ever. Hey dad, it's time for bed. Okay, you know, we go in the bedroom and we get changed. But one night a week, he would just not want to cooperate. And one of the most important things about this was that we really had to get him changed into a nighttime brief because he was incontinent at night. So we really needed to make sure that we could take care of any that. It was going to be difficult in the morning. He's wet already. If he didn't have the right brief on, it was a mess. And so I literally, there was a small bathroom off of his bedroom and I literally would stand in the doorway and block him from coming out of the bathroom until he would get changed in the, into his jammies with the nighttime brief. And so I would just kind of stand in the way and those tough nights, believe it or not, there were some times that I stood there for an hour to an hour and a half. And I would just gently say, hey dad, can you take off your pants? Hey dad, can we take off that shoe? And he a lot of times would just be like, no. And if you tried to help, then he could get aggressive. He could hit, he could be mad at you. So it was really hard, emotionally, very, very difficult. And one weekend I came home, I was telling my husband how hard it was. And he just said to me, well, you know what would happen if you just wrapped your arms around him and told him you loved him? I thought he'd hit me. That's what that would happen. I just blew it off, you know, in the moment I thought, you just don't really, you don't understand at all how hard that is, you know? And so there I was the next week standing in the doorway. Hey dad, can you take off your pants? And he was bucking up and not, not understanding, not wanting to do what I asked him to do. And I thought, okay, what do I have to lose? So I walked in and I wrapped my arms around my dad and I held him tight. And he immediately just stood up, just kind of stiffened up and just stood there. And I just held him. I rubbed his back. I said, Daddy, I love you. You're okay. I'm here to help you. You're okay. And I just held him until he relaxed into that hug. And I just kept whispering in his ear, I love you. You're safe. Everything's okay. And eventually he wrapped his arms around me and he hugged me back. And I just held him for a minute. And then I kind of stepped away and he dropped his arms and he looked up in my eyes and he said, what do you need me to do? I said, dad, I just need you to take off your pants, which is such a funny thing to say in such a tender moment, but it really was just all that I needed. And he did. And from that day on, I just kept remembering, just tell him how much you love him. Because that confusion and that combativeness, it comes from being scared and lost and not understanding what we need. So engaging with love for the person that you're caring for can change everything. It changes our heart, but they receive that and it changes what they're feeling as well. And so I just really encourage people to always lean into that love that you have for the person you're caring for and make sure you're sharing it with them. Because I think as we're caregiving, we can forget, we can focus so much on the task. I just need you to take your pants off, you know, that we forget it's their heart too. And when we lead heart to heart, so much more can happen. That was, that made me cry. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah. Like, it's amazing how much love can transform any situation. Um, we can.
we all almost always forget that, especially when we're in our own emotion, right? We're yeah. feeling the pain, the frustration, and then love is just like that amazing greasing the wheel kind of thing. It just eases everything. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that beautiful story. Okay, so how is your work used to serve humanity? So, you know, after I lost my dad, I was a coach before, and I actually was blessed to be able to coach people in transition. I was really focused on Christian women in transition and was able to take that job with me between the farm and dad's house. And so I was, I loved what I was doing and I loved that it was mobile. So it worked really well in that season of my life. But after I lost dad, I just knew I needed to pivot and I needed to love on those that were going through what I had been through. And so, um, you know, just being able to come alongside them and walk them with them and help them to be able to look back without regret too. Um, that's, that's where my heart is. So I'm blessed to be able to do that. So when you were helping women, um, that were going through transition, you mean death? Like the parent, somebody had died in their life? Oh, no, sorry. Just um, like usually job transition yeah. or divorce, that type of thing. Life transitions. Life yes. Transitions. No, not, okay, not that one. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> I was about to be like, wow, you've really worked in that area. Yes. No, I had not had that experience. So, yeah. So you work from your experience. Okay. So what does it mean for you to be a positive force of goodness in the world? For me, I think exactly what we're doing today, having those tough conversations and helping people bring the awareness of that, which we don't want to talk about. And that's your parents are not going to be here forever. And what does it look like for you to honor them and to support them as their needs increase? How do you step into those needs and help them as they reach the end of their life? Yeah. A lot of us, I mean, including myself, I try not to think about it too much. Right. Um, because it's like, what do I do? I don't even know where to begin or how to exactly. manage yeah. that. And what do you feel, what do you love most about your life? I love all of my life. I love being able to come alongside others and encourage them in this. I love being able to be, I'm a grandma of seven. I love being able to pour into their lives and spend time with them. I love life on the farm with my husband and just supporting him as he's such a hard worker. So I don't, I, I tried to narrow that one down, but I can't narrow it down. Seems <laughs> <laughs> like you have a lot of blessings. That's great. I do. I do. How do you feel you receive love? Oh, you know, being a giver, that's one of those things that can be a little tough to do. But I learned even in my season of caring for my dad to look for those times. And, you know, there were times where even I, he had, hadn't really interacted personally, you know, beyond just the weather or the easy little things. And he might sense that I was upset or sad and just pat me on the knee and say, you know, I love you. And so I learned to look for the little things to receive love from those around me that are offering it to me because they're everywhere. We just often don't slow down enough to notice. Yeah, very true. When do you feel the most love? I would say here on the farm with my husband and my dogs. <laughs> so just being able to do everyday stuff and be thankful for, you know, all the things that we have together and the people that we can serve and love and, you know, our family and those types of things. So. Okay. And where has love created a miracle in your life? 
I think the miracle comes from loving those that aren't easily to love. And that, you know, at times we're taking care of my dad when he wasn't being easy to love, the miracle of love came through. And that's just helped me to always be resilient in my love for others. And even when it's not received in the way that I'm trying to offer it, to try to continue to offer the love. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a lot of times people get stuck because they want people to receive their love the way they perceive that the other person should be receiving it, but it's not the case. Like you kind of have to have this, like I'm loving to love and the other person's going to take it or leave it. But the feeling is about you loving and that's what's right. Not necessarily if or when the person, the other person will receive it because they are receiving it. They just may not be acknowledging it or giving you the appreciation for it. And I think a lot of times we as humans forget that we always assume that, oh, I love you. So you should love me back or you should give me this. And that's conditional where. Right. That's just not the point. (laughs) No. And taking care of an ailing parent, I really feel that that goes into the realm of unconditional love because Mm -hmm. you're not, especially with a parent that doesn't even remember who you are. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not about that at all. Yeah, you know, and that was one thing being so young and my mom was nonverbal for probably eight of the 12 years. And so she couldn't tell you anything. And so just being able to meet those needs and to love her where she was right then and with what she needed, that was a really started me on that journey of trying to look for how I can do that. Like everyone else, there's people in my life I probably should love a little better, (laughs) but, you know, trying to be able to continue to, to give the love even when it's not received. Yeah. And you mentioned that you worked with Christian women. So are you a very, a woman of faith? And has that been a big part of how you've been able to manage all of this as well? It really has been. And that faith has been something that, you know, throughout life, it just grows deeper, but definitely through the journey with my dad, it was a lot of wrestling with God. And what do I, you know, this hurts. (laughs) I, I don't like this suffering, Lord. I'd really like it if you would take that away. And that's just not how it works. And so, you know, really being able to allow him to stay with me through the storm of it. And then to offer, I believe, you know, God's love to others through me was one of the biggest things that I saw throughout that journey. So definitely a heart for mine is to love and serve others, bring glory to God in that. So definitely a part of my life. Yeah. Being of service. That's like my number one thing that I always, (laughs) I always say to God, like, how can I be of service today? And how could I help others Mm -hmm. today and push my ego or my needs aside and help others because I think it's and I feel the best when I'm doing that yes me too (laughs) well this has been lovely thank you so so much great meeting you yeah nice meeting you too so how can people find you where can they get your book like how could they get in contact with you great so um no regrets but for your caregiving season is available to all major retailers it will be in stores on um, June 1st. And then I also have some pre-order bonuses available at noregrets-book.com. So I'd love to have you check that out. It also, that will give you a link to all the major retailers that are carrying the book. Um, and then my business website is aseasonofcaring.com. So I would love to be able to talk to anybody who's just finding themselves at this place where they're just not sure what to do next in that caring season, so. Wonderful. And all that information will also be in the show notes. So you can also link to the bio, the, the book and the website from there as well. Well, this sounds great. great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, I am sending you so much love and thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was my honor.
Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.